Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Welcome to West Point, Mississippi, to our humble podcast studio here. Humble. We've got a full house. Yeah, we do. It's been a while. You know, I hadn't seen any of you guys since last year. I know. <laughs> He's been in hiding in, in, in an undisclosed location in Alabama. <clears throat> Whoops. I said Alabama. Sorry. Well, it's a big state, though, you know. Big state. But there's a, it, it looks like his guide service has Mark been Mark that really time good. code, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> His guide service has been pretty I'm effective. telling you, he's a hell of a deer guide. <laughs> Evidently. So uh, look, we're not going to get a lot of comment about that uh, no. so, so, as, we, as we move on. But, yeah, it is the new year, guys. We're so happy to to still be here. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking at any point. In the to, middle of, I mean, I guess a little bit off of peak rub is white deer season's wide open. You know what? I kind of feel for like we watch our friends in the Midwest and they get started with the rut early and they're having so much fun and we're down here and yeah. you know, it's not happening. And so now it's happening for us or it's kept beginning to tail it's off. Happening. And, and yep. they, you know, right they, now. they're hunting that late, late, late season, mm-hmm. the ones that still can hunt. So yeah. It's pretty tough up there. Yeah, they're going crazy around here. We we had like a 10 point running around Zuber Park in West Point the other day. Somebody filmed it. No, oh, didn't Which we? is, I you know, on one. the highway, the main thoroughfare. Yeah, half a mile from here. The Walmart people were telling me about one coming out in the parking lot at night that for the, you know, chasing does and before Christmas. But in the parking lot? Probably the same one. Yeah, probably yeah. so. Truck drivers are, you know, parking and coming inside <laughs> and telling them about it. How about that? <laughs> well, so look, you can hear some people snickering. And gr- We've got a couple of guests sitting on the couch. I'm going to introduce Caroline Winters. And she is a young lady. Went to Mississippi State. Go She's uh, she, that's where she got all the wisdom. That's right. Look at I mean, a big smile, <laughs> but she has killed a giant I deer. Just, I'm looking does. at it. That we're going to hear the story of. Uh, I mean, it's a legitimate 190. She's got shed. She and. Yeah. Her father and Quit her Quit putting her numbers on it. It's a glorious animal. Well, it's just a good way to everybody visualize how big it and, is. And uh, one year ago today, her mom was in here podcasting with us about archaeology. Wow, was it one that's year ironic. Ago today? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, this is our 200th podcast. We've today. done this 200 times? We've done this 200 times. You couldn't even spell podcast no, before this. I can't. <laughs> okay. I he didn't know what one was. Who in the world said he could now? A what? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Look. So let's look at the other end of the couch. We've got William McKinley. And we, William, we've known you for a while. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure I know your title, though. You're with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Wildlife Fisheries, Fisheries and, and Parks. Parks. That's yeah. right. I'm the deer program coordinator. 
So you're the guy that's got all the answers to all the problems anybody has when they about deer around the state. No, he's the one that listens to all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I like what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I I look at it from a statewide hole, and we try to look at deer season, look at the overall herd health, and uh, yeah, it's I got over one and a half million. Uh, critters running around out that's there so that's a lot it's it kind of busy it seems like this year there's just been bigger deer hitting the ground in the state of mississippi and are you hearing that too uh, absolutely mm-hmm. it has been a really good year for for big antlers like the deer that caroline has harvested here that's a super animal but you know you look beside that and there's a shed laying there from that deer that she brought with her and and um uh, you know so many deer these days because of the type of management we're doing. And, you know, I got a whole list of stuff here on, on historical management that we'll get to whenever y'all want to talk about that, but of how management has changed in the, in the deer arena Mm -hmm. over the past few decades. So, uh, but a lot of people are letting really good deer go because they're not quite at their peak yet Mm -hmm. that deer that wouldn't have been let go a few years ago or especially a decade ago there are not many people that will let that deer go oh no around the state i say that you're in the one percent group Mm -hmm. but if if they could see what we're looking at now yeah the difference between oh my goodness (laughs) the results yeah that is blowing up. Well, why don't we start with Caroline and her story? So she, she's got a big smile on her face. I'm just excited. Tell us a little bit about you first and then and how all this came to be. Well, I'm from Lambert, Mississippi. Uh, the metropolis. <laughs> yeah, my dad, I've, ever since I could go to the woods, he got me out and, and took me to the woods. And I Nothing grew like up it. a farm kid, uh, grew up on a farm and... Um, very lucky and very blessed that we have land that we can grow deer like this. And, um, yeah, I, I went to Mississippi state. Uh, I wanted to be a vet, you know, like every kid that loves animals mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to be. And, and I found out about the wildlife fisheries and aquaculture major. And I was like, okay, no, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Because I always was kind of like, oh, man, I wish I could just hunt for a living. That would be cool. <laughs> Doesn't everybody want to do that? That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's um, what I tried to do, and it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was like, that that's what I want to do. You know, I want to figure out how to conserve and manage these animals to get animals like this. Oh, it's just an incredible looking at that. That I, I want to hear the story about, You've, you've got these shed. How long of a of a relationship have you guys had with this deer? Oh, I could tear up talking about it. What, but- first off, <laughs> that's what, awesome. What what did you decide to name this deer? We named him from the time we saw him as a three and a half year old. Uh, we called him TT for Tall Ten. <laughs> tall Ten, TT. We were tired of saying the Tall Ten, the Tall Ten. I was yeah. like, let's shorten it to TT. Yeah. And Rick was like, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, we called him TT because he, you know, just a beautiful, perfectly symmetrical ten point. Uh, since we saw him two years ago, um, and you know, we, I, I'm very thankful that you know we see deer like that a lot. You know three-and-a-half-year-olds that we see, and we're like, man, that is going to be a really good deer one day. We really have to let him walk and see, you know, how big he gets. But usually, you know, after we get through that, you know, we let him walk, we never see him again. 
you know, is usually they disperse and go do things that bucks do. And, um, you know, we, I, I can't remember if we had pictures of him in velvet, but, you know, then last year we got pictures of him the year that, uh, he had that side. That was and last we, year? This yes, last year? that was last year. And you yes, feel sir. like he was four then? Yes. And I have the jawbone in so, the truck. I need to bring it in. Like, so we'll that, mon- that monstrosity laying there is only five? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. I mean, you can't wait any longer, but just to know you've got the genetics running around that could be more yeah, than that. That's right. Absolutely. And when they when they describe, when they use the phrase, he blew up, that's this, exactly this, this, what he this did. guy blew up. How many inches would you think he grew in, in between four and I five? I don't know. I wish we would have measured them, you know, just to, to see. Lady usually can look at Like 40? pretty close. So, so yeah. we, does your farm have a lot of soybeans on it? Or? Yes. Yeah, the property that this deer came from, my dad farms all soybeans. You know, that, that one that just died here that was so massive. And I was thinking with this drought, we were going to have such a big reduction in them. But I remembered that one has access to soybeans. Mm-hmm. One of the few places around here, I knew that they could get to them. And mm. they, I, there's no question what happens if you keep, uh, you know, not to get into his job, but I've noticed <laughs> the deer that, you know, people get great food for them and expect it to happen in year one, whether they're feeding them pellets or they got them <laughs> on soybeans or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever great crop and, you know, that deer's had great nutrition his whole life. Yeah. You know, they build the building blocks are built when they're younger. It just there's no one hit wonder to and grow a deer a like that. And he had a healthy doe that he come from too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So even before he was born, that generational was effect was there. That you can't overlook that part. That you got to keep those does healthy so they have healthy fawns, which then turn into deer like this. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many deer I've seen. And even here, you know, between here and our place in Alabama and back and forth that, you know, and in places in between and, and stuff that you see a deer that's just so different. And I ask the question every time, that deer's had access to soybeans. <laughs> and I would say 80% of the time the answer is yes. In yeah. fact, some of them go, no, 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 no. And, and then they go, wait, wait, you know, about three quarters of a mile, there is some. I said, well, they'll travel a lot further than that for summer nutrition. A long ways, I'd say two or three miles from my learning. So what, to it. what was his personality like? Did he, I mean, was he a more reclusive or did you see him a lot? You know. He was definitely a homebody for sure. <laughs> Good he, for him. You know, we, we got pictures of him, you know, he daylighted a lot and we got pictures of ever since we saw, I think, I think we saw him before we got game camera pictures of him uh, as a three and a half year old, but you know, he was always, he was a regular, always on the camera. Um, and he, you know, I, I kind of had like an emotional attachment to him because I'd watched sure. him so much and I'd seen him so much. And, wow. you know, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I was nervous the afternoon that, that I shot him, but during bow season, I, I had him in 60 yards. Mm that at 60 yards yeah, <laughs> i was just i think that was more exhilarating than you know getting a shot at him and you know it was just cool watching him because he was the first deer in the field and he was the last one to leave and i watched him all afternoon long <laughs> did he shake his head a bunch that always that always gets me <laughs> he would you know it was funny he came out with a younger deer i can't remember a little eight or ten point just a pretty young deer 
And, you know, they were buddies. Like, they would spar and they would play and hmm. do whatever. And, For now. That yeah. wasn't a fair fight. <laughs> that <laughs> was not a fair fight. In the corner of the field, they were sparring, and I was just like, does this little deer not understand like what, <laughs> what he's yeah. messing with? And, but, you know, Rick and I always, like, talked about how ever since, you know, he was like that, you know, you kind of knew him when he came into the field. He would just step to the edge of the field and he just put his head up and just look around. And that's how I'm going to get him mounted, kind of a upright, just kind of like he was just looking over. Yeah. Sounds cheesy, but like no. so majestic. No, and yeah. he just, yeah, like he's looking over his kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, <laughs> I mean, he deserves it. Yeah. And you need to be able to reflect on that more than looking at photos the rest Absolutely. of your life because it was so special. Now, just point out, you know, for the gamekeeper, mentality out there how special that is to develop and i know this sounds cheesy but it's true developing a relationship with a wild animal oh yeah something you you got you didn't just go somewhere on a trip and they put you in a great stand you you know you grew the deer yourself Mm -hmm. with your family and not only that you had though all that time i'll talk about time all the time uh that's two words. In that the was good. Yeah, and you had got to spend all that time with him. It made it so much more special. So, yeah, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, yeah. no, that's right. how can anybody not be for what goes on in wildlife management and hunting when it ends up like this? Yes. Now, I realize there's bad eggs in every – Of course. Every, you know, pursuit, but this is as special as it gets. No, I, I like that right off the bat. She said, I'm going to get teary-eyed talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah, right. I bet you got well, You love them that and, much. And, you know, you can forget the score. Everybody out there doing this, hopefully their deer would be a homebody too, whatever it is. It could just be a beautiful eight-point or something. But how lucky are y'all that he didn't roam and get himself shot exactly. somewhere else? You know? Did your neighbors have pictures of him after it was over? Did they come forth? and I don't specifically no for sure but i i do think one of the neighbors had seen him um and you know the neighbor actually saw the found the shed that has the messed up pedicle from last year one of our neighbors found it in a bean field like right off the road not far from where he lived but right off a road um found that shed uh, this past spring. Yeah, that's, that, that had to disturb you. I mean, looking at just, that pedicle like Yeah. That. Well, and it, we were disturbed when, you know, last, so last year we kind of had a long deer season. We didn't really have many good deer on camera. He was probably the, the biggest one that we had on camera. Um, and, you know, it was late December, early January. The rut was pretty much wrapped up for where we were. And Rick and I were like, you know, it's a small property. The neighbors could see him. But maybe we should shoot TT if we see him, if we get a chance. You know, we don't have any other good deer on camera. You know, what are the odds that he'll make it through the summer? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, he still had a month of season left. You know, let, let's shoot him if we see him. So it was a year ago today or tomorrow, I can't remember, he came out in my little food plot. And I texted Rick. I was like, I see him. I see TT. And he was like, okay, where are you going to shoot? And I was like, there's one problem. He's missing one side. He has already shed one side. And, you know, I was like, that was like God Mm -hmm. telling me. Telling us, wait, be patient. (laughs) Things happen for a reason. I did too. And I I had my camera that day. And I just took so many pictures of him all after. Even though he just had one side. You know, I was like, that was... God's way of telling me, no, be patient, just wait.
Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the Big Eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck. Planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. William, you were making a comment about the, the base had a little extra mass on it. And what that probably, if you had seen that, what you would have initially thought. Yes, when we see antlers shed with that much pedicle attached, usually that's a death sentence. Yeah. I mean, I would say well more than than over 50%, probably more like nine out of 10 times, that deer would have been suffering from an abscess that had eaten down through the pedicle, weakened it, it's broken off. And the deer, if she had shown me that, that, antler i would have said that deer's probably dead before next year but just proof that that sometimes we're wrong you never say never in nature and you never say always it's just it didn't get infected for whatever reason Mm -hmm. maybe because he was so healthy that's how you know jeff foxworthy showed us all those sheds and they've got that he he said that it's really bad from like wisconsin minnesota and i think their deer over there in georgia came from that lineage mm-hmm. but he's talking about i mean they it's had, like a bird that grows down yeah, there. yeah we they were, lose a ton of their deer we were talking mm-hmm. about that before we started recording before you were here and uh william can probably extrapolate on yes that a there's bit. a bacteria that is more common along and it's also over in mississippi a lot around here clay lounge Knoxby, kemper we see it in that part where People will come to me and go, I think I got a genetic problem. I got a bunch of deer with a spike on one side and a good healthy rack. That's that bacteria eating through that pedicle. We think that it's coming in when he sheds his antlers. Hmm. There's an open sore for just a little while before it scabs over. And it starts to eat through that pedicle, eventually reaching the brain. And, you know, bucks, a lot of bucks die of brain abscesses. They're fighting. Nobody knows this. They try to kill one another. Oh, they do. And they will eventually, you know, sometimes they succeed. They get an infection that eats through. But in this area, there's a lot more of that because of that unique bacteria that is here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would have figured that's what that was. I'm glad I was wrong. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about it. That's why I asked the question, because if I'd have found that, I'd have been like, oh, it's over with. Yeah, yeah I think maybe it was Bronson. Somebody way back when, it could have been his predecessors, were warning us about judging deer too quick that had like yeah. one side or you know st- you know a spike and a good horn on the other side. You might want to be sure and wait if you can keep up and wait another year. And I, sure enough, I've seen that where just in the years, I guess whatever, 15 years taking pictures, that we have had – It'll come in waves, so it can't be truly genetic if it comes in waves where we've had a bad bout of, like, man, we got so many deformed racks. What is going on? This is awful. And and I'm not talking about just, you know, misshaped or whatever, just like one's missing almost everything Mm -hmm. on one side, even from the summer on. 
And then in a year or two, it's almost all gone. It's like, so it has to be what he's talking about, mm-hmm. you know. And this one got, got out of it pretty good, except there's a couple of, you know, weird points close to the base. Mm-hmm. You know, actually gave him some trash to make yeah, him yeah. more character. A little more character, yeah. 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 if I, anything. I, I love it. So I, I'm anxious to hear the whole story. Uh, this year, you going in the woods and seeing this deer and pulling the trigger. What happened? Well, so we had pictures of him all summer long in velvet. And, uh, you know, at Mississippi started the, the velvet season. So I got my velvet permit. And I actually we ended up that, harvesting a really great deer in velvet and, you know, on a different property. And I had several people ask me, like, why in the world were you not hunting this deer during the velvet season? And he was just a little more inconsistent than this other deer I killed was. Um, he was just like every afternoon and every morning coming out to soybeans, whereas, you know, TT was kind of, you know, we got regular pictures of him, but not not as consistent as this other deer. So I went after the other deer and I'm thankful I was able to harvest him with my bow, my first buck with my bow and it was in velvet. That's so that's idea. awesome. I, I saw it. I saw a picture of him. So what was his name? Poo poo by chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just checking. That, usually Bobby has the corn politics. I had what to do it. I'm on? sorry. Dudley's bringing Wake it up. Today. Richie. I mean, <laughs> no, someone asked me like TT is in going to the bathroom. I was like, no, it's all 10. I didn't think about that. I guess. When we named him, but yeah, we got pictures of him all through the summer in velvet. And I guess probably the first picture, you know, when he really kind of finished out growing was late August. And we were like, wow, he is really, he really blew up. And, you know, I, I went after this other deer during velvet, um, during the velvet season. And, and, you know, I was at Mississippi state too. So I didn't, you know, have a ton of time to, to hunt, in the fall, but every chance that Rick and I had during both season, we, we were out there. And we we're real, like, we hunt the wind. You know, we were not going to go out there unless the wind was just perfect because we did not want to risk bumping him off the place. And um, I, I saw him, I think it was November 4th um, is when I saw him. And uh like I said, that was just as amazing as the hunt when I killed him. Just being, I sent the video of him to my dad because he was that close. I could just take a video of him. And my dad was like, you know, that's probably really amazing. Just being that close to a deer mm-hmm. that big. Mm-hmm. And he was Knowing like. that you contributed to growing right. him. And, and just watching him, just watching him be a deer out there. And, you know, he was the first one in the field and the last one to leave. I watched him all afternoon. And Rick was actually hunting not too far and uh, he would kind of go in the woods and go towards Rick's direction. I'd be like, Rick, he's coming towards you. <laughs> he's coming your direction. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm ready. And then he would come back out into my field. I, and I think he was checking scrapes or working scrapes in the woods. And he would come right back out and uh, to his little compadres, his, the younger bucks that were with him. Um, but, yeah, and we kept getting pictures of him. He was consistent. And we hunted every chance we could. Um, and that was kind of – that it's a smaller food plot, a smaller field, and we leave standing beans strategically in the in the fields where we hunt. And uh, he, we hunted every chance we could, and you know, I never never got. I think Rick during both seasons saw him on the other end of the field, probably two hundred yards or so. But 
know, he said the same thing. He was like, wow. <laughs> it was just really cool getting to see him. Um, and actually the afternoon, it was Thanksgiving Day that I killed him that afternoon. We were late to the deer stand, of course, because Thanksgiving <laughs> lunch dragged out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, we probably didn't get to the stand till 3.30. And, you know, I had spent every time I hunted down here, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, when am I going to see him? You know, every from the moment I got in the stand, I was like, okay, I'm ready. When am I going to see him? And this particular day, I was kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of hunting. I'm just here. You know, we're late. It's I'm probably not going to see a whole lot. And, and you know, we all, he always was running with a smaller buck and my field filled up with does it was 10 or so does out there and you know I just wasn't really thinking about it and that's when he stepped out and he did that thing he was just looking <laughs> did that looking thing. looking at his does <laughs> that thing. Yes. I know all about that <laughs> he that was, thing you do yeah. <laughs> watching his does and I was texting back and forth with Rick and I put my phone down <laughs> real quick and he I think I first saw him, he was about 170 yards, so not very close. And he came out, and he was walking straight away from me. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's him. So I, I put up my binoculars, and I saw that hook coming mm-hmm. off off of his G2. And I was like, that's him. I was like, wow. that's him. And I was like, I put my binoculars down. I was like, okay, I need to shoot You know, the first chance he gives me because he was walking straight away from me. And he started kind of pushing does around. He had got out to about 200. Um, and he, he turned broadside. And I, I'm, which everyone probably is, but I'm so bad about rushing my shots. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible about that. Like, I just put the crosshairs on him and, and just shoot. And, you know, I, I put my gun up and I was watching him. And he, I was, he was standing perfectly broadside and he was feeding. You know, it was just a perfect shot. And I... I kind of flinched. I almost pulled the trigger, and I was like, no. I was like, stop. <laughs> you know, because I was like, I have to take my time, and I have to I have to get this right. You know, this was kind of – I was nervous, but I was also like, you know, I have to get this right, and I cannot miss him. He's liable to leave and just never come back. I don't want to wound him. And, you know, I finally felt comfortable, and he was still perfectly broadside and feeding, and so I shot – and he didn't, you know, which granted he was only standing probably 10 or 15 yards off the tree line, but he kind of just ran in the woods. He didn't, he didn't do anything really that, that told me that, that kick he didn't whatever. mule kick. He didn't, you know, hunch up or anything. I mean, we all hope that they drop. What caliber are you shooting? 30-06. Okay. Oh. And, and out of a Browning rifle, I yes, assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes, sir. Ahead. But, um, and I texted Rick, I was like, I, I shot her. No, I called him. Of course, I didn't text him, but I called him and I was like, I shot him. I was like, I feel really good about it. it my gut feeling says, yes, that was perfect. But, you know, he didn't really react. And Rick was like, well, you, it sounded like you nailed him. <laughs> and it sounded like it made good contact. And I was like, well, I was like, I, I mean, I'll call my dad. And, uh, so I did. I, Hung up the phone with Rick and I called my dad and, you know, why else would I be calling him at 445 in the afternoon? <laughs> my dad answered and said, you get him? <laughs> and I was like, well, I hope. I think so. And I could already, he was already like, okay, okay, I'm coming. He was hunting like nearby around our house and I could hear him already getting his stuff together <laughs> in the stand and 
I was like, I mean, I hope I did. He didn't really react. And, but I, I felt great about my shot. I really took my time and, um, and it, the place is kind of set up. He had to drive right back where Rick was hunting to, to get back to where I was. So he was like, okay, well, I'll pick Rick up on my way in and just hang tight right there. And it was so hard for me to not go down there and at least look for blood. And I think I called Rick back and I was like, I think I'm going to go down there and just look for blood and see if I can find where I shot him. Rick was like, don't you go down there. <laughs> he was like, he was like, don't you go down there. He could be laying just right in the weeds and I want to be there when you find him. I was like, okay, okay. So I got down out of my stand and it was a beautiful sunset that day too. I was just taking it in uh, and just I'm picturing it. I, I know I took a picture on my phone of the sunset and I was just taking it in and it was just, it was such a nice day too. It was such a pretty day. And anyway, my dad and Rick get back there and uh, we kind of pull the truck down to where, where I shot him and we found a little spot of blood, but I was like, okay, well, I hit him. You know, I still don't really like, you know, that this just a little bit. And Rick and I start walking into the woods, and I, I think we found maybe a little bit more blood, but I was like, I really don't like that. And I I literally, I, and my dad's so impatient. He went out in <laughs> front of us, and because it was kind of on the edge of a break. We have CRP and uh kind of on the edge of a break and so my dad kind of went in in front of us and kind of made a loop and you know I, I turned to Rick and I was like maybe we should just call a dog because I do not want to bump him and maybe we should just back out and come back tomorrow or something and I don't think I even got those words out of my mouth and my dad said I got him. <laughs> got him. <laughs> and I was just like oh got my him. gosh I was like that was the best biggest relief ever and you know we're like dipping through the woods trying to get back there to where he was and it was a perfect shot just like I felt it was and he only ran probably 70 yards or so and it was funny I my dad was standing at the deer and he was I could see his flashlight shining down on him but there was kind of a big tree stand between me and my dad and Rick was in front of me he was running faster than I was to try to get to him and Rick was in front of me and got up to the deer and I, I couldn't really see his antlers yet and Rick got up to him and he said oh my gosh <laughs> and I was like oh gosh and I get up to him and it's just like all those feelings yeah. mm -hmm. coming together at one time and it it was amazing like I, I just sat down beside him and I was just like oh do you know how much stress you put me through yeah, exactly. these three years? <laughs> oh, what a great... You tell it, I mean, you tell it so good, yeah. too. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward thinking, innovation with time tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site wide discount at MoultrieFeeders.com. Use code Mossy Oak with a capital M, Mossy Oak at MoultrieFeeders.com and get that 15% discount. Take a sip of water. Relax just a okay. second. There. 
But William, this is what your job is about, is, is growing deer like this and making the memories that this young lady has. It's just has got to be very rewarding. <laughs> very much so. And as I've been sitting here thinking about the stories, seeing the deer the year before, seeing the deer the year before that, and I think about, you know, call it perspective, call it the age of management, call it your paradigm. But think about, you know, us guys sitting here, we're, we got a couple of younger ladies in the room, my daughter, Caroline, they're seeing way different than what we saw when we started hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been hunting for a few decades. And I remember when your mossy oak came out, Toxie, I, I, I remember buying it right off as soon as it came out. Wow. We were out hunting there. Uh, but back in those days, back in the 80s is when I started hunting with my dad. And what did we shoot back then? Anything with uh, antlers vis visible above hairline. And, and everyone we possibly could and to, uh -huh. that the law would allow. Mm -hmm. And so does were a no-no. There were a few doe days. We tried to shoot a doe during that time frame. But I can remember sitting in the big in the uh, Knoxby River swamp and just watching doe, 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 yes. doe, 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 doe. And like the 16th deer that walks by has two-inch spikes. Pull the trigger. Yeah, yep. and, That's right. and uh, but then we went into we start going into okay, well, our agency. Well, before I'm a part of the agency, they're beginning a DMAP program. They're trying to initiate some people into shooting does. I hear from the older biologists that when I got hired, and they had that first club meeting down in Kemper County. That was where DMAP originated on the edge of, of Kemper and Knoxby counties, huh. right down the road here. It's been copied by almost every state that's got white-tailed deer in some form or fashion and since then. A lot of them call it DMAP. They do. They do yeah. call it DMAP. So you're saying the, the first DMAP program was right, which started here in Mississippi? Right down here on How the Kemper that? and Knoxby lines on a few properties, yes. Never knew that. And that's the awesome. biologists used to talk about having, they kept the car running. They were in station wagons for our agency back in. They kept them running, and they had armed officers with them because they were afraid they were going to get shot that night for telling the bot they needed to shoot some does. Is that right? And <laughs> it was that much angst mm -hmm. about trying to shoot some does. And populations were, they were getting out of control over a lot of the state even then. But the sentiment, so when I start in 2001, there's still a lot of that sentiment out there of we're not going to shoot does, but things have started changing back in the 90s. You know, remember the four-point law mm -hmm. way back in 95, and all of a sudden people realized they get older if – they get bigger if they get older. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden people are harvesting the biggest deer of their life, but they're having to let deer go. So things have changed so much over those years. I from passing young bucks on because law required it to voluntarily passing young bucks to voluntarily passing legal bucks. And now we're in an age of, I call it the individual deer management. Mm -hmm. Just like what, what Caroline's looking at here. They saw him last year. A lot of people would have shot that deer with one antler, y'all. Oh, uh, that deer would have got shot even though he had one antler and they'd have got a taxidermist to build another one <laughs> to have him mounted with. And But the deer this year, I'm hearing big deer harvested all over the mm -hmm. state. Yeah. Most of the time when I'm talking to those hunters, they're like, we got photos of him last year and the year before. 
And it's been that more individual management, just like y'all did. And letting these deer grow up and you look at him and you, he's 140, 145 inch deer last year Mm -hmm. or maybe a tad bigger. Uh, No, about 140s. Mm -hmm. And most people would have harvested that deer as a a really good deer, Mm -hmm. but he got mature or he got near mature. Yeah. And now people are letting these deer go across the state in a, I would say in unprecedented numbers, they're letting deer go from three to four or four to five or even five to six. Yeah. And they're seeing them be able to fully mature out there. And that, I can sit here and tell you we're killing bigger deer because we had a better year when they were born. Yeah, they're a little better, but they still, they were good deer last year that somebody likely passed in order to be a giant deer this year. That makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense, yeah. Age class. Absolutely. So if a deer like that hits the ground, how long does it take before you get a text from somebody telling you about it? <laughs> you want minutes or hours? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's pretty fast. It's then. pretty fast. Yeah. I'm hearing about deer like that uh, pretty regular yes. and, and through the season. And this has been an exceptional year. But I go back to nearly every one of them, people are saying, well, we saw him last year. And either he somehow made it through when they were trying to trying to harvest him, or in most of the cases, they're choosing not to. Mm-hmm. Even though... He's a really good deer. They're letting him go. They're seeing him go one more year, and they're going, okay, we're going to take him this year. But um, times have certainly changed since we were shooting those three-inch spikes back oh, in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I remember my first deer was at a hunting camp that had DMAP. I think it was 1991-ish, 90, 90, 91-ish. And I saw 55 does in one hunt. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can Ward Lake. <laughs> So I grew up. I grew up hunting in Southwest Alabama, where they had deer and turkeys when nobody had them, just about. And the the limit was a deer a day. Yeah. For a very Bobby grew up in Alabama, so he remembers that too. It was a deer a day for a whatever hundred days, ninety days season, or or more actually. And um, it just it was so completely out of whack. And that was, you know, until they introduced shooting does, that was. A generation of like that's bucks. Yes. So yeah. you literally would hear people killing like twenty something bucks a yes. year. Yes. Yes. Two points, four points, five points, five points. Eight, you know, just every deer they could shoot, and it just you know, and they thought that was oh we need to shoot more because we got too many deer. Well, thank goodness for and we thought recent. we needed to shoot spikes too. Oh, we, we were told to shoot spikes mm-hmm. back in that stuff. But I can still remember the first time having the awareness of. The spike may be something different is Dr. Jacobson that far back. And they had us, someone found a phone and gave it to him at state for the deer pen. And it was a spike. It was, you know, a nice spike, but it was, I remember seeing a picture of it and it turned out to be a Boone and Crockett deer mm-hmm. when it got to be. I like remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. So that, you know, that dispelled that right away, you know. So, Karen, let me ask you a question. You just recently got married, right? I did. So this Rick you keep you calling that, is that is your husband? <laughs> it is. Did Rick know about this deer prior to y'all getting engaged? Oh, that's a, that is a great question. <laughs> now, Bobby, that has no relevance. <laughs> I think it's very relevant. Because, because if that would have mattered, he would have shot the deer or hunted it. He's obvious this guy is... In it for the long haul, this is going to be a 60, 70 year old marriage where they <laughs> hunt on into the late life. And Hope so. Yeah, that's true. 
He, I don't know why you even asked that because I, I she shot curious. the deer. It, well, that, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, it's funny. Like uh, we kind of both talked about it, and we were like, "Well, you know, just we knew how big he was." We were like, "Kind of whoever sees him first. <laughs> but I'm going where I'm, I want to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down. With he his did wisdom. give me pick. First pick of, of well, good what stands. Chivalry is not dead. <laughs> yeah. and, no. I, and I like that she called her dad. What yeah, a great yeah, that's way. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's that good. was a really good story. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome deer. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really thankful that, you know, we've, but all three of us have been able to kill really great deer, you know, 150 to 160 inch, four and a half year olds. And I, I've killed several, Rick has killed several, and my, my dad has walls full of them, you know, and when we saw him, you know, and he looked like that, we were like, you know, we've got several deer on the wall that kind of resemble this. Let's, you know, if we're going to let one walk, and give him one more year. This is going to be the one, the one to do it because you know he stayed so close. Hmm. He was a homebody. He didn't never really, you know. We always got pictures of him, and he was pretty consistent. You know, we were like, let let's see if we can get you know a one ninety one a, a little bigger. You know, which a a great a one fifty to one sixty inch is amazing deer. But you know, we were like, let's. Well, let's see if this well, yeah. one will make it. Too. Y'all did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. he did. Done. Y'all did, and it did. What yeah. did he, he end up weighing? I knew you were going to ask me that, <laughs> yeah. and we didn't weigh him. Uh, but we think 220 to 230. You know, it's interesting You like that I learned that about the bacteria in his pedicle. You know, I, I was looking back at old camera pictures, and it kind of looked like his body was healthier last year than hmm. This year, the year that I, that I harvested him, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but um, could have been the drought too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So, <clears throat> what, what is your career now? Are you working for uh, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife? I am. Yes, I'm a contract worker, and right. like I just do WMA work. <laughs> it's in, our favorite agency. in our region. Don't say just. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Don't say just. <laughs> I've heard good things about her work in the in the North Delta. Oh, uh, really you. good things, and. Uh, uh, that's a very important job, and we appreciate having Thank you, you there. Good. Yeah, Caroline, we're just real proud of you. This is yeah. just a great story. You tell it well. A, a heck of a deer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so Dudley, much. Dudley, she knows more about deer hunting than you will ever know. She does. <laughs> Bobby? At, I'm, I can't disagree with I learned with a lot that. of it from this one over here, my dad. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool. How about that? And well, at Mississippi State. Well, well, they've, you know, they're teaching a lot of stuff over there. There's nothing, no doubt about that, but. We want to come right back to you and ask mm-hmm. you the state as a is it the state or is it the south? Are we seeing big deer dropping in other states? Are you keeping a, are your finger on the pulse of that? You know, I talked to the other deer coordinators and it seems I'm not going to speak for them this season. I will say our season this year has been exceptional. Yeah. Uh, you know, we started making a push uh, back in September as an agency. Our deer numbers have been going up. Yes. And if we're going to keep deer like this, we've got to check that increase. And we we have numbers out there where we get population estimates. It's called a population reconstruction. So I can't ever tell you how many deer, you know, they don't stand still and be counted. Um, so we go backwards and we go, okay, well, if we killed this many deer that were three years old this year, 
and this many that were four and this many that were five, they had to be alive three years ago. They had to be alive four years ago. So it, you go backwards and you see how many deer we had about five years ago. Then you look at harvest rates and you, it's a lot of, a lot of guesswork involved in this, but it gets us really close. It's the best estimate we got of a deer population. Our deer population is at or near an all time record high. Well, from what we're seeing, we don't, no doubt about and it. And my thought on that is, uh, and this is just me driving around, but I think the habitat is not quite as good as it was. Uh, you know, the pine timber, mm-hmm. is, you, it's hard to sell that right now. And Correct. so there's and not as been much. for a few years. Yeah. There's not, that, this doesn't have anything to do with the Delta, though. But uh, everywhere else, uh, there's a lot of closed canopy pines and mm-hmm. stuff isn't getting thinned. And so yeah, while our population's that. going well, up, I, I think, you know, we're I'm going to introduce one other thing. Losing a little food and cover. Yeah, What's that? I'd go with that, but I'd also say deer are the most adaptive yeah, thing I've ever known in wildlife. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. living, they're way more suburban deer. They're yes. way more deer in all areas of the Delta. There was, the Delta was void of deer just about. Yeah. And then when they moved in there much, they were gigantic. I remember a bunch of 300 pound deer in the South mm-hmm. Delta being killed. God. And so, I mean, I just think there are more areas they've That's adapted to everything. We <laughs> yeah. have, I can probably go back behind my house and see more deer in an afternoon. And I live in the city limits. We don't hunt there. You can see more deer than if you went out to a hunt club. We sure in my house. So they've really adapted, I think, you mm-hmm. know, to suburban life. Nosler is known for their bullets, and now they're making suppressors. Nosler suppressors are made for hunting. Adding a Nosler suppressor to your rifle will make you a quieter, more accurate and more effective hunter. Protect your hearing and disturb less game with a Nosler suppressor. The time to hunt quiet is now. Learn more at Nosler.com. Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all-new Gunner Dog Bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak-resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust-proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and designed for everywhere. Well, so this early this year, the y'all's department started communicating and asking hunters to take their limit. I don't remember anybody or at ever least shoot more deer than they have been within their legal limit. The average hunter in the state is down to shooting one point six deer a year. Mm-hmm. The average successful hunter. Now, you asked me for a trivia question. All right. Oh yeah. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> we look at the population as a whole. We have these estimates going all the way back to the late seventies. How many deer were out there? And we get a pop a hunter estimate, a harvest estimate, where we do a five percent survey of licensed hunters out there. So we see how many hunters get killed. By the way, we're the only state out there that does not have a mandatory reporting or tagging system for gun season and white-tailed deer. And I still say we hint, need hint, that. Hint. We course, need that. Yeah, I'm all about that. Uh, but yes. so if we have this many deer in the population, and the population right now is about one and a half million, just over is what our numbers are saying, what percent of the deer need to be harvested by licensed hunters to keep the population level? To keep uh, it at 1.5? To keep it at right about level. So I've been going back now. I've looked at this data since the, the 80s. And I go, okay, well, they harvested this many deer. And that was, and we had a population estimate of this. And 
so they harvested this percent of the population. Is my question clear? Yeah. What yes. percent of the total deer herd out there do we need to harvest by licensed hunters? I was going to say 35. I was going to say 27. But Dudley? 40. I was going to say, would you? I was going to say a third, but that's, <laughs> I, I that's close I, to Bobby's. 33. Yeah. Well, if you go 34, if you. So let me, let me preface. I said licensed hunters. So under 16 and over 65, because we got no way of knowing what they're harvesting in our state. Yeah, my 12-year-old's mowing them down. There you go. (laughs) And uh, my daughter over there, she's, you know... She's harvested a lot of deer before she got her hunting license. Uh, She had to get a license this year. She just turned 16. Or even close. No. (laughs) 50. (laughs) We're obviously going to get this one wrong. Y'all are shooting fish in a barrel. (laughs) Yes. Trying. I think he's finally got y'all. Your your streak might be over. We're going to edit this. Don't worry. (laughs) Y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah. It's 21. 21. I was close. 25. What would you get? I was like 40 on the first day. <laughs> hey, I'm 27. He did 40, then 20. I mean, he was getting you know, complicated questions. Deductive reasoning. Mm. Well, maybe I would close at a third because that yes, would account for another 12% through. Yeah. I just I, I was shocked years ago when uh, Dr. Woods let us understand the super high mortality of bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, natural mortality. And I, much I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you would lose if you just left them alone. And and I think some of this came from further north. The further north, it, winter's harder on them, so it's worse. But I think you lose half of them or 40%, something like that, from like birth to be, you know, a full-grown buck. And so, also remember the, that the, right. the, the, isn't that about right? You're right, yes. So, you know, that's why the other thing to point to make to everybody is if you're going to, have deer, I mean, much less get to the size of hers, just the age of hers. You're going to have to really work at letting bucks go and harvesting does because mm-hmm. you're going to continually, nature's going to try to get your herd out of balance. Right. Just yeah. like it happened, you know, years ago where there's like 20, 30 does per buck. Yeah. It was just terrible. It was terrible. So, you know, nature's working against you because the does have very low natural mortality. Bucks have a very high natural mortality. You know, Lanny, you had a part of the thing. Yeah, just talking about this, I've always wondered, and I know you can't be very specific about this, but like a general rule of thumb, maybe you have to go divide the state up into a couple of a couple of areas. But you know, how if you could say a general rule of thumb, and maybe you can't, of how many does I need to harvest uh, per hundred acres. If you left thinking that's very, 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 well, I understand by habit. So, uh, Southeast Mississippi, uh, way less than say the big black corridor mm-hmm. or the Tibby river bottom yeah. here, Tibby Creek bottom yeah. here, uh, deer densities are so different. So what I'm going to say is that if you walk away from a deer herd and you let nature take its course, like what Toxie was saying, it tends to go to about three to one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it balances out at is about three does per buck. Uh, and as hunters, we tend to take, you know, at least used to take more bucks than does. And that then would push those buck to doe ratios way up there to one to eight, one to 10. Uh, some really terrible numbers that may even lead to some of the does not getting bred. So what I'd say to you is, you need to be harvesting three does for every buck you mm-hmm. harvest. I think we're on that. Mm. Pretty close. And on so, mm-hmm. or more, or better. Or more. And if yeah, you're still seeing a lot, 
I know it sounds too easy to be this easy to say how to do my job, but if you see a lot of those, you need to shoot more, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> it ought not be easy to go out and be able to shoot one. Yeah, I was on any given. I was day. field. Oh, I was field. <laughs> I was field dressing a doe at three o'clock the other day and was watching other deer walk around. We me. need to shoot more. Yeah, that's right. So right now, uh, William, I'm seeing does that still have their yearlings with them. Or still yeah. have falls with them that they don't have spots. I saw some the, the day before Christmas and the day after Christmas trying to nurse, and that's that's the <clears> latest <throat> I've ever noticed it. So they'll nurse all the way through into January, but just some does. Well, kind of like kind of like uh, moms, humans, I guess. They yeah, vary. moms they vary. Some will wean them off earlier than others, but one of the things we are seeing this year is some really small falls. That's because of the drought. Yeah, the drought. Uh, so the drought didn't have much of an impact on antlers this year because it began after most of the antler growth was done. The drought we had was primarily July, August, September, October. And so most of these antlers, like this buck in front of us, he was mostly done growing by July when yeah. stuff started to get bad. Yeah. And then what we are seeing is body weights down. So so those falls hit the ground, and Mama's out there trying to make a living, and it's just not there. Like Re- it. Remember earlier, I said it comes from a healthy mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, that year they're born in matters a lot. The deer born this year, I'm not going to say they they can't get to be really nice deer, but if you look at them as a whole and look at averages, they're going to probably be below average in five when to we six get years. these deer to five to six years. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're well, stressed. Yeah, we're hearing, you know, moms even need 16% protein for the mm-hmm. fawns to release their genetic potential, and it's not going to happen. You know, and Bronson was telling us how many calories a, a lactating oh, doe needs, and it was an astounding number. Yeah, didn't they take a dry matter and they took a bunch of, uh, like, plastic flowers and, and stacked it up? Yeah, way. that was the, trying to do oh, an example, but he was saying 20,000 calories yeah. a day. Yeah. Oh, wow. For, Even for, no calories for, more for, than I do. For a doe with two fawns, 20,000 yeah. a day. So. so average harvest three to one on does to bucks. Mm-hmm. Or more. Yeah, or more. I, you know, or more. We're at I'd 10 always, to one. I'd always, for years, listen to <clears throat> management <clears throat> people trying to get us to, to aim towards two to one instead of three to one, that that would be a healthier herd. Mm-hmm. And think about how much you got to harvest with the bucks going, you know, whatever, 10 to one over does. Naturally. And then the other thing is that a healthiest herd would be close to that, two, maybe three. But also when you can, like if you just left them alone for a long time, you would also have about the same or close to the same in every age class or closer than if you're shooting them all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you could, you, you can't ever get there. You're not going to have as many, you know, five-year-olds as the same as you have, you know, year-and-a-half-year-olds. But it's like if you get it closer to being – equaled out you have such a healthier herd and the other thing they said then the other thing you will see every mature deer when the rut hits because they will be going crazy mm-hmm. trying to breed the does that are there and fighting and there's so much more activity your hunting experience is better i'm too. glad you bring it up toxic because i don't know for my whole two decades plus career have heard I'm not going to shoot those does because I'm going to let them pull those bucks onto my place. I know. Well, what good is it if it pulls him onto your place and they stay bedded up all day long beside her? That's right. exactly uh, And you never on. get to see him. So the best properties that I've managed over the years, 
they try to take out as many does of their quota as possible during archery and the early primitive and the Thanksgiving gun hunt. And they whack them right then. And of course, you know, for our listeners out of state listening, the rut in these places is going to be mid December through early January. So they're taking them out two or three weeks to months prior to. Now think how much food we're saving for each one of those, from each one of those does. So, but the, the competition when those does come into season and you've got bucks out there chasing them, uh, I've, I have seen exactly the opposite occur on the properties that take the does early. They see the bucks that are there. The bucks, there's three, four bucks chasing a doe. They're seeing more rutting activity. They're hearing fights. They're hearing grunting as opposed to they go into just a full-fledged, well, rut lockdown. How many mm-hmm. times you heard that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen that. The biggest thing that will get one of those old deer killed, in my opinion, is you get to the rut and he can't find one. And he's walking. Yeah, and that's what he's, uh, he's going to move. It. I mean, your chance of seeing him is a direct, you know, love, that love the post relationship yeah. to how much they have to move. There's nothing worse, you know, like you say, like there's nothing worse than go, you know, you could have all the deer, best place in the state, but if they're not moving, you're not going to see deer. But they, I just, I think, you know, like around here, even when they're out of whack a little bit, I've been saying this on a lot of podcasts, we always see, and we're seeing it right now, some of the very best deer or killed at the very end of the rut, or just as the ruts, you know, quit almost. Mm-hmm. And they all of a sudden can't find a doe. And all I was saying is if you reduce those does, if they got to work to find the does, you're going to see a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. So, William, I've got one. Can you explain the scenario about when and how the mom runs off the, the button buck? When she starts coming into season, coming into estrus, uh, she's going to tip – Lily Grace and I were hunting last week, Knoxby County, and we climb in a stand. We're looking over a big grass field, uh, native grass with a food plot planted beside it, and all we were seeing were fawns. There's a fawn over here. There's a fawn behind us. There's another fawn came out over here. There's another fawn over there. And those does had left those phones for now. Now, what we will also see is once they've been run for two or three days, they're going to come back and find that phone, and then they're going to stay with them for quite possibly all the way till next year and on into next November. But they're going to leave now. That button buck, there's been some research out there where the doe actually causes him to disperse. And now some of them are going to disperse whether you harvest that doe or not. But we've often said, if you have a choice on a doe, shoot one that has a buck phone versus one that has a doe phone. Because there's a higher likelihood now that that buck phone that you've raised under good management, this is assuming you have good management on your property. If you don't, then, well, you might want him to leave and get a new one in. But uh, if you've been doing good management, you want the deer that grew up under a healthy doe now. All of what I just said brings into cooperatives, mm-hmm. getting your neighbors to work with you so that when that buck phone disperses away or you get a new one in from four or five miles away, and he's typically coming right around October, November. When you see all these one-year-old bucks moving around the landscape, uh, that's kind of when they're, mo- they're, they're finding their new home. You want one from a good, well-managed place because he's going to be, let's forget his genetics because you couldn't control that. 
what you can control is that he he came from an area. If you've got neighbors that are working well and managing their deer herd as well, you're getting just as good a deer as you're losing. Everybody is through through the scenario there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So that uh, again, it hard. It was it was nature's way of preventing inbreeding. inbreeding. Yes, yeah. huh? Which is cool, but it also that dispersal just helps everything. I think too. So the doe phone stays put. She lives right there by mom's home range, and the buck phone takes off. She mm. the mom runs him off, right? Mostly, but even if she's been removed, some of them will still leave. They it's just a it's just an instinct. Nature is going to make some of them, but she he is more likely to leave if she's still there. Hmm. How does she run him off? Is she just mm-hmm. aggression? You've been I mean, kicked by a deer. Yeah. No, I mean, they, I've seen that. I have been kicked by a deer. Man, that's got to be a little rough. It's kind of like your that. mom didn't want you in the house. Yeah, she, she, wanted, she broke your plate. Yeah, I, I, I remember. I, think I mean, you're like 40, but I mean, she at least broke I think it came out of Georgia originally, but I just remember the research saying it was pretty profound how far they get away from her, like mm-hmm. a mile and a half plus mm-hmm. that they'll get away from where she is. It's huh. some kind of almost like repellent. And that's habitat related. You go to where they are in the Delta. Yeah. And it may be 10 or 15 miles That's just right. because of the breaks in the habitat. So. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's interesting you say that because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to get my younger cousin, uh, her second deer. She's killed one, but I wanted her to kill another one. And I was like, man, all we are seeing are phones. Like, I just, we had eight phones right here in front of us. I was like, really don't want your second deer to be a 70 pound phone, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, I never thought about that. I, you know, that makes perfect sense that the, the doe gets run off. And I was like, gosh, all these phones, it's all we're seeing. <laughs> we are we in the heyday of whitetails. I think we are Bobby. Yeah. Uh, we've never had this many deer on the landscape, maybe close, but we've never had this many adult bucks on the landscape. You know, our DMAP numbers show that we're bumping over 70% our three-year-old and older in the harvest nowadays. Oh, that's, wow. That's incredible. So it's no just, that, go Mississippi. I mean, yes. we got to be tops. I we got to be tops. We we led that for several years, and I'm not sure how we fell last year in, in the NDA's uh, lineup, but we use that DMAP data. And for several years, we've been, we were at the top on the percent of mm-hmm. older deer. And they asked for three-year-old plus. I then went ahead and broke it down to four-year-old plus. It was over 50% of those were four-year-old and older on nice. DMAP. Wow. So we're harvesting more mature deer than we've, we've ever have in history. So by default, some of them are going to be some really big ones. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a good question I, I wrote down earlier. And it and it's I think it's typically the same nationally and all. But what do you think in our world here under, you know, good, good, good conditions? What's that peak age that you would want to let a deer go to? For absolute best antler yeah, quality. Just, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? I realize he probably could tie two years. It's not a, a one spot, but what would you shoot for? If you felt like, you know, you had a control, you know, a big enough place, they were pretty much going to still be there. Six. That's what I was thinking. Yep. Yeah. So if you look at the law averages 
He's 92% as big as he's going to be at four. Right. That deer did not follow the law of averages. No, no, mm-hmm. no. He went way more than 8% bigger from four to five. Oh, my gosh. And so. Well, like 50% bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that occurred to me is how can you, you know, even the best of us cannot tell for sure. I mean, the best way to know how old it is is if you positive ID him at a younger age. Mm-hmm. When it's much, you know, one, two, even three is a lot easier to tell than the difference between a five and a six. So uh, that's the hard part for I think the average guy, which I, I promise you, I consider myself very average about that. And there's also a you lot know, of mature bucks running around that don't have a big set of antlers. You yeah, know, I, 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 I think absolutely. That, we've let good deer go and go and go. I, you and know, they're just very average. I think the average in in uh, the better parts of our state is at what one twenty five ish. Well, that makes the Magnolia Records program record books uh, a net 125. So that should tell you, when we looked at all the data over the years, statewide, not Delta deer, you're going to find more make it. Yeah. Uh, but overall, a lot, a lot of deer mature out at well under 125 inches. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I get so many these days, you know, it's... I tell y'all, it's so funny to see the differences just in my career of deer management from people, you know, well, if you would let him go, he actually would get bigger to now people sending me, well, I shot this five point that we've been letting go and, and how old do you think he is? And I'm like, he's a gummer. He's like seven, eight plus years old. And they're like, well, we were going to find a guy for shooting him. And I'm like, well. I wouldn't. No. <laughs> you no. know, uh, that's right. So, trying to judge by the hoof, because a lot of times those deer, those mature deer with smaller antlers, also have smaller bodies. People want to attribute body size, not conformation to right. their age. Yep. So, mm. you may get a 150 pound buck right around here that could be six year old and have a real small rack, and but be a mature deer. And you know, I still mm-hmm. say. Trophies, antlers are certainly trophies, but so are jaw bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get a deer to six plus years old and harvest that buck, regardless of his size, when you get one like Carolyn killed here, though, that's a, just a little bit. That's <laughs> <icing on the laughs> cake. Yeah. So, what are some of the older deer that you are, are you hearing about? Nine, ten year old deer being killed around the state occasionally. So we just can't age them. I was, was going to ask uh, you. I just could you tell for sure? Could you? Send it to a lab at Mississippi State or somewhere and cut the teeth and look at a microscope. Is there a way to know for sure? Well, Toxie, you know, there there's a lot of discrepancy in that method as well. It's called the cementum annuli of looking at an incisor teeth. And, and I've seen studies where it would be two or three years off based wow. on different teeth of the same deer. And so now, is the technique more reliable when they get really old? Yes, I think it is. I I age deer to eight plus on the teeth, but I've looked at a lot of known age jawbones. And I also know that I'm wrong a lot of the times when they get older. We had places that were clay soil prairie and then some on the river that had super sandy soil. And there was a massive difference in the wear. Basically, the the sandy soils, every deer you killed, even if maybe it was a little too young, had worn teeth. And Mm -hmm. we would kill some deer in the prairie. That would not even be worn, and there's no way. I mean, I remember a deer getting hit um, 
just north of town, actually opposite our farm, and he's mounted in the store now. We took the took the jawbone to Johnny Lanier, who's aged thousands and thousands of deer, and he just got pale. He said, "That's no way. That's a two and a half year old deer." He said, "But I'm telling you, them there's two and a half year old teeth. Teepees. That was so, a huge deer. That was a yeah, it was a giant. Deer. But he'd been eating soybeans his whole life too. But my point is, <laughs> I think because he's in the prairie." You just don't have the wear, and it doesn't. Mm. It didn't jump at you as much. And deer just wear different. Mm-hmm. Some do. Some just like we have different. You know, some of us have good teeth. Some of us have bad teeth. Sometimes deer have the same thing as well. But and sometimes the deer choose on one side. Surely, and, and you may be pulling the other side, and they may be two or three right. years different from one side to the other. Yeah. We tagged a bunch of deer for a research project through MSU over in Lowndes County. Uh, about 15 or t- 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah, about 15 ago. And we had one of those research deer actually got hit a year ago. And wow. we were tagging them as known age phones and one-year-olds. Right. By color coding the tags and actually was looking at how they grew up and, and getting folks to send us back photos. And Dr. Demare's Drove over. He heard about the deer getting killed. Uh, he drove over. He got the jawbones of this deer, and he sent it to a bunch of us. That was mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's Every coming. Every one of us aged it at four or five. She was nine. Wow. Huh. So what we've learned in all these known age jawbones is that when they start getting up there around five, six years old, we're, we are not right quite often close to half the time. However, we don't ever under or overage them. Excuse me. We never overage. If we call it five, right. then there's about a 50 to 60% chance the deer is five, another 30% that is six, right. and then another percent chance that is seven, eight, nine, or 10. Uh, so we're getting a minimum age on them, I guess you would say. And that gets less accurate the older they get. I mean, I just think there's, the the most important thing is actually not after the fact, but before the fact anyway. And I do think that people have paid, it's not easy. And so people have paid more attention in the last, say, even 10 years as this deer mansion advanced. And they're better able to just go, they can't look at a deer and feeding in a food plot and say he's five and a half. But that's an old deer or that deer's really yeah, old. old enough. Yeah, and that deer's, he may be at his peak. Look how old he is. You know, there's certain things you can see when it's wow. I mean, when you mm-hmm. can't even tell the difference between his neck and his shoulder, it's <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. time to let time him to get go. the good news, you know. Yeah, we were just talking about this on the way here. Uh, Rick shot a deer about a month ago that, you know, looking at his, he said looking at him on the hoof, looking at his body, you know, three and a half, four and a half, you know, he didn't really have a big body. He was just a little six point. And, you know, we just have too many deer on this property. So it, he shot him and, you know, we were looking at him. We were like, yeah, three and a half, four and a half. We get the jawbone out in this deer. I, I sent it to Brad and I, I've showed several people pictures of it. He's just smooth. Like mm-hmm. his bottom teeth are shiny. I mean, and they all, everyone I've showed it to has said that's, at least eight or so. But, you know, they all say it's so hard to tell once they get that worn. Hmm. And, wow. But we were like, wow. You know, just looking at this deer, we were like, oh, that's, you know, he, he just didn't get the nutrition he needed, and he just turned out to be a six-point. But really, this he was old. Yeah. 
Hey, you know, all of them aren't Michael Jordan. And that, yeah, that's <laughs> the kind of deer that somebody <laughs> might get fined over, you yeah. know, for. But yeah. really, it was a great buck to take. It was so subjective. And that's something to be so proud of, too, just to be able to harvest an old deer mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. You know, that's the so important as, part. Mm-hmm. As the head deer biologist in the state of Mississippi, what excites you the most when you look into the future and what worries you the most? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Don't answer if it puts you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what excites me the most is seeing kids coming up in this age and still, you know, as the nationwide average of hunters has been falling. Been eroding, no doubt. In Mississippi, we're holding our own on hunters. And the just the amount of deer out there, it's, it's such a big protein source. Mm-hmm. We talk about antlers here, but, you know, you run the numbers on how many deer were harvested just last season and run that in pounds of venison. You're it's running eight or nine million pounds it's of venison. That's, we only got three million people in the state, folks. Mm-hmm. So does that get me excited that we have that natural resource out there? Absolutely. I look forward to what the future brings. It scares me. I don't even want to say those three letters. But no, CWD, don't say it. I yeah. mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's it right. changes yeah. things and – it has to be recognized as a threat and we have to understand that it is a threat and, and start working toward management techniques where it is. Mm. Yeah. I'll, well, I tell you what, we're just really proud. We got people like you 100% and, yes. and Bronson um, and others that are looking out for us. I'm really proud that we still have a high number of hunters going to school to become uh, wildlife biologists. Well, no doubt such. about it. We call those hook and bullets. Hook and bullets. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. But. Well, Caroline, you've uh, you it, you're, you fit that mold perfectly. I it, do. It, it sounds like you grew up in the outdoors, and, I did. and you've made it a big part of your life. You've you've certainly got a great story, and you got a great smile over there. Thank you. I've, I, for one, have just thoroughly enjoyed listening to her. Yeah, tell this her story. Was, you know, I was saying that the one uh, with Bronson uh, was my favorite deer one. Maybe maybe it's maybe this it's one. This now. one. Well, this one wasn't <laughs> out yet. I mean, so you're fine. 190 inches of antler laying there on the table. What an it's amazing Bobby. animal. You know what I mean? It's killing Bobby. Yeah. He said it so many times. I don't even think he's looked at our host. He's been looking at the antlers the whole podcast. Yeah. Man. Look at those eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He glazes over glaze. worse than yeah. anybody. Yep. He, yep. Yeah. I remember seeing the photo. It was right after Thanksgiving. I, I saw it on Instagram and or Dudley sent it to me. And it, it was just an impressive deer. Well, thank you. It really is. I'm so, very proud. Well, so look, I know uh, William's got to leave, but we've got one quick trivia question. I'd like to ask Caroline if we could. Oh, oh go. So this week, uh, Richie, I'm going to turn it over to you. Can you tee us up real quick? Trivia question is brought to us by Sheffield Financial. That's right. Because your finances are not trivial. No, they're not. Sheffield is some great <laughs> folks. If you're trying to buy a tractor or an ATV or get a deer mounted or That's something, right. you, they 14,000 offers. Are they financing land. your mounts now? I need to talk to them yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah, I need to talk to them about that. So anyway, thanks to Sheffield for being a part of this. And who are we playing for? We're playing for Mitchell Long, who left a review on Apple. The prize is uh, some Allen meat bags and a... Gambrel. He pronounced it correctly. Gambrel. So, so, so yeah. listen, so listen, I'm going to throw this out here. Uh, I'm going to have to make sure I uh, spell check what Bobby sends me. 
Yes. Because I think he uh, thinks I've turned into uh, Anchorman, yeah. and that's why I read whatever's on the prompter. How could you turn into something so, you already were? Uh, all so, so, I don't get that. So uh, as he sends me misspelled words there and just hands me a note and says, yeah. <laughs> The teleprompter. Oh, wrong. Lord. We have a teleprompter. Oh, Listen, so Mitchell is one of the first guys that's left us a review and left his name. Everybody else gives us these code Cryptic names. names. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin Klein left one the other day. Yeah. C2 Farms. So, okay. So here's my question. Maybe Gosh. it was Calvin Klein. Yeah, I think it could right, be. Does he have a hunting place? The, Caroline, I'm looking at you now. <laughs> what outdoor television show is rumored to be the Rolling Stones lead man Mick Jagger's favorite outdoor television show? Oh, my gosh. And I'm told you've listened to a lot of podcasts, so this one I thought would you'd figure it out. Oh. What is Mick Jagger's favorite, favorite hunting, hunting uh, outdoor, outdoor television show? Yeah, rumored to be. Yes. And we, we heard this from a, a member of the Rolling Stones. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'll uh, give you a hint. Okay, give me a hint, please. We have a show. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's similarly named to the podcast you're on right now. It's a gamekeeper. Hey, <laughs> yeah. she killed it. That's awesome. You know, I tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's I clearly focused on this dude. Yeah, she did so good the whole time. Horn. I mean, the antlers. Yeah, clearly me. focused. We'll fix all, all that in Only about post, the antlers. So. <laughs> right. That was great. Yeah. Sorry, Mitchell. Well... <laughs> You know, he'll we'll, probably win anyway. We'll take care of that. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, we really enjoyed this. What, Lanny, what would you say you learned? I, you know, I've learned that, in, and, you know, in practice, this the private land management works, and, and everybody, hunters being on the same page about listening to the biologists and the agencies about what's going on and taking conservation in your own hands. Uh, and, and it's working in Mississippi, you know, hearing what you were saying that the average age class of bucks harvest has been three and four blows my mind. I'm like you, I grew up, this brown is down. I never will forget when my dad was proud because he came in hunting. It was the first time he had ever passed a deer in his life, <laughs> you know? And, and so it's just, it's really cool to see, uh, the hunting, the hunting community working with the agencies and taking the information that the agency gives them and, and making it practical. So. Is that too much? Toxie, I'm going to give you the last words. I mean, if, what I learned is, I guess, uh, what our states and biologists and, you know, people are asking us to do works. It yeah. really works, but it's not a one-hit wonder. And so I guess the point is, like, do the right thing and be patient. And it will all come to all of you that, that do that. Yeah. You know, and don't get disappointed in uh, – you know, because it doesn't happen overnight either. It's a long-term thing. Yeah, and, and right. learn to enjoy the process. Well, like she did. I mean, yeah. it, even without this deer, what a great life yeah, she has with her wildlife and the whole journey they have with their whole family. That That's the point of all of it. And guess what? After years of doing that, you get to benefit also, you know, selfishly, bigger, better deer. Mm-hmm. Mm. What'd you learn, Bobby? I, I learned that Carolyn doesn't watch television. Yeah. Out of, out of, out of, <laughs> I'm always outside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, this has been fun. I've it really has. enjoyed it. Dudley, do you got anything you want to add? No, I, I had a blast. Yeah. Learned a lot. Yeah. William, we are real proud of the work you do over yes, there. And we're you. big fans. If we can ever help you guys get a message out some kind of way, please consider us to be your right hand. We will. And thank y'all. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoyed meeting your daughter. And uh, and, and look, you've got some your your, uh, your husband and your father traveled up here with. Thank you. Well, thank you. Please tell hello to here. your mother. For I will. So, yeah. so, yep. So why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.